Thank you so much for joining us today and listening to a PCF podcast. We believe listening to the Word of God will change your life. God bless you as you continue listening to this podcast. Rick Roberts. Good morning. Good morning. Now, I've stood here before and I've been nervous, but today I might be a bit nervous, but I'm excited because I've got a word and I know we all need to hear it. Amen. And it's not from me, it's from God and my words might stumble, I might uh, lose my breath, I might spill my water again, but I know that this word today we all need to hear. So, Amen. And the word involves homes and weddings. Do you think that's a good subject for a Sunday morning? It's very daytime TV, isn't it? Homes and weddings. Has anyone moved house in the past uh, two years? It's never-ending, isn't it? It's a traumatic experience. Um, I've read that it's the mo- one of the most stressful things that a couple can do together. And I've read that it takes, on average, a working couple six years to get their new house into the kind of order they imagined when they bought it. It's just never-ending. Um, my wife and I moved house recently, last year, actually, a year ago. We got married three years ago here, three and a half years ago, I should remember. And like many newlyweds, we were looking for our marriage home. We went around 15 houses during COVID, and it traumatized me very much. Um, we ended up moving 200 yards down the road. And yeah, that was good, wasn't it? So we're settled now. Why am I telling you this? Well, the Word of God, the Bible says that all of us are destined to move home again before too long. We're all moving house again. Can we, do you think we can handle that? Yeah. One more time. And, and this is radical. I'm going to lower my voice. This is radical. Whether you're married or not today, right now, we're all getting married again. Can you handle that? This time it will all be together, but there's going to be a wedding. You see, Jesus promised his disciples both a wedding and a marriage home. And this is what he said. It's in John 14, 2-4. In my Father's house are many rooms, many mansions. If that were not so, I would have told you, because I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go there to prepare a place for you, I am coming again. And I will take you to myself, so that where I am, you will be also. And you know the way I am going. So Jesus promises to prepare a place for us, but when the disciples heard this, they would immediately have thought, ah, He's talking about a wedding. You see, in these verses, Jesus is alluding very strongly, quite strongly, I would say, to the Hebrew marriage tradition. In their tradition, the groom-to-be would choose his bride, and if she agreed, she would invite him back to meet her father and brothers, and they would have a meeting, they would eat, no doubt, and have a long discussion, and they would negotiate terms and conditions and negotiate a price for the wedding for the bride. It's what we might call a dowry. And although the disciples didn't realize it at this point, 
Jesus was about to do the same. He was about to pay the price for us, for our sins on the cross. Then the groom would return to his father's house and he'd prepare a dwelling place for himself and his bride. And this would often involve extending his father's house with extra rooms or it could be extra tents depending on the era and where they were. Um, So he would prepare a home for himself and his bride. And in verse 2, Jesus says he's going to prepare a place for us in the rooms, in the space in his father's house. Amen. And the groom would then return at an unknown hour with the shout of a trumpet on horseback with all his entourage. And the bride would come rushing out with the bridesmaids. They'd get on the horses and they'd be off into the night to return to his father's house. And in verse 3, Jesus says, he is coming. See, he's coming and he will take us to himself. So you see the connection here. There would then be a big wedding feast and after which they would live together happily, married. And you see, when we're united with the groom Jesus, there'll be a wedding feast for us too. It says this in uh, Revelation 19.7, let's rejoice and give glory to him because the marriage of the Lamb, the marriage of Jesus has come and his bride, as the church, has prepared herself. So you see, we are the bride and Jesus is the church. So if you don't mind, I just want to try and go back and talk about this uh, wedding again. And I'm going, I'm going to do this a couple of times today in this message. I want to try and paint a mental picture for you. So you might want to close your eyes and see if you can imagine this. I'm not a good storyteller, but I'm going to do my best. So imagine the groom has gone off to prepare the house, to prepare a place for him and his bride. And the, bride's, the bride and the, her bridesmaids, all the friends, they get together and they put on their wedding clothes. They get oil in their lamps and they live day and night, in the same room or the same tent, all excited, full of apprehension, waiting for that trumpet sound and for the groom to return. They know it's going to happen. They're expectant. It could happen today, tomorrow, next week, two weeks, a month. But they they know it's going to happen. They just don't know when. They don't know the day. They don't know the hour. So they'll all be excited. But you know, we're all human, aren't we? And can you imagine if it went on for a week? Do you think their excitement would wane? Would it dip? If it went on for two weeks, do you think they'd get a bit nervous? Would they go through the um, joking, teasing phase? Do you think they'd say, oh, we're still here then? (laughs) Or would they say, I hope he doesn't come back before Saturday. United are playing Arsenal. If it went on for three weeks, four weeks, would they become complacent? What would they say? Do you think they'd say, you know, I think he's coming back, but maybe not in our lifetimes. Or would they say, look, he is coming back, but we've got work to do. We've got things to do, and there's things he's he's called us to do. We've got to do stuff. 
We've got to live our lives. Let's take off these wedding clothes. Let's put down these lamps. Let's separate. We'll go and do our own things. And then when we hear the trumpet sound, we'll quickly come, put on the wedding clothes, pick up the lamp, and then we'll rush out and get on those horses. What do you say? Or even worse, do you think they'd say, hey, look, maybe we've got all this wrong. We've got all this wrong. It's not a literal wedding. That's right. It's symbolic. It's a symbolic wedding. And yeah, the groom's not coming literally. He's coming symbolically. And maybe all of this was somehow to change the way we think and to make us better people and, you know, to change our lives. They would be expectant. They would be expectant. And you see, I'm not suggesting that we sit in our tent waiting for Jesus and doing nothing. But like the bride, we need to be expectant. We see the signs. The bride knew that it was imminent. She didn't know when. We see the signs and we need to be expectant too. Is that an amen? So in the Bible, they... um, there are quite a few uh, mentions of, uh, I've got to be careful I'll say this, pregnant women and the labor pains being a sign of what's to come. And like a, like a woman who's expecting, the birth pains get uh, stronger. This is something I don't know about. You realize that? <laughs> <laughs> the birth pains become more and more frequent. They get stronger and stronger. And she's more and more expectant, but she never knows the day or the hour of the delivery. But it's, it's, uh, she knows it's coming, and that's like us. And the Bible says in a number of different places, that's like us. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 2 to 6, For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord are the events surrounding the second coming of Christ. The day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. So we know Jesus said this sentence, and we like to quote it because it gives us a get-out-of-jail card. No one knows the day or the hour. Have you heard that before? Okay, that kind of uh, makes our lives easy, doesn't it, sometimes? But you see, I hope you now see that when Jesus said that, it had levels of meaning. The first thing it meant, the first thing the disciples would have recognized from that phrase, no one knows the day or the hour, is that he was talking about a wedding. Because that was in the culture. You wait for the groom. You don't know the day or the hour, but you're listening and you're expectant. The second uh, level of meaning, perhaps, is one of the Jewish feasts, Rosh Hashanah, a feast of trumpets, where they didn't know the day or the hour of the start of the feast. It would be over two days, and it would be dependent on sighting the sliver of the new moon. So there's levels of meaning there. It doesn't mean let's take off our wedding clothes, put down our lamps, and go about our business as if it's not going to happen, and when we hear the, the sound, we'll get with it. That's not what it means. We need to be expectant. We need to be ready. I'm looking at that water, but I'm worried I'm going to spill it again. <laughs> I might press on. So that's the wedding. And uh, now there's the marriage home. Can I talk to you about the marriage home? 
Because we want to know about it. Don't tell me when you buy a new house, when you're moving, don't tell me you don't look on right move 20 times to see what you've bought. Don't tell me you don't look on Zoopla and show all your friends, look, this is where we're going, this is the neighborhood, this is da-da-da. So we want to know where we're going, don't we? We need to know about it. In Revelation 21, 1, John tells of his vision of a new heaven and a new earth. So there is a, we know there's a heaven now, but a new heaven is going to come down on a new earth. This earth is going to pass away, and there will be a new heaven on it. So in verse 2, he writes, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready like a bride adorned for a husband. So his kingdom is coming to this earth. And we pray for that in the Lord's Prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What's his kingdom? So his kingdom is his whole rule and reign, and heaven is a part of it. So in the rest of uh, Revelation, chapter 21 and 22, there's a detailed account of this new home for us. It's called the New Jerusalem, and it's the new heaven on the new earth. And this is how John described it using first century language. You see, he had a vision, and he, he had to somehow comprehend and write down what he saw with the language, the culture, the schemata, if you like, of his day. So I'm going to try and paint another mental picture, and you might want to close your eyes again and see if you can imagine what our new home is going to look like, as if you're looking on Zoopla and you're seeing all the details. So I'll begin with its size. Thank you, Mel, for the water. I did that okay, didn't I? It's very big. It's 1,500 miles, 1,500 miles long, high, and wide. So if it's the same length, if it's the same length, um, same distance, long, wide, and high, it can only be two shapes. It's either a cube or a pyramid. Many theologians think it's a cube, and that would be really important because there's only one other cube in the Bible, and that's in Kings 6. It's the most holy place in the Old Testament temple. So if it's a cube, it means that the new Jerusalem, our new home, the new heaven, is modeled on the most holy place. And I think that makes every sense because Moses' tabernacle was modeled on heaven. So I think it's likely a cube. This whole city... It shines, it glistens with what? With the glory of God. It's made of pure gold and it looks like clear glass and it just shines through the darkness. And there's no more darkness because it's so bright. The city has great high walls around it. It's got 12 walls. And we know the height of the walls, actually, from the book of Revelation Um, It's about 250 meters high, but the city is 1,500 miles high. So we know that these walls aren't to protect the city, but they're there for the glory of God. And they're made of jasper. That would have been green jasper. It's it's beautiful. It just glistens. So these walls are glistening. Am I forming a picture? Is this starting to... 
Um, each wall has a large foundation stone, and on each stone is written uh, one of the 12 tribes of Israel. And they're there to remind us the importance of Israel in God's redemption plan for us. And there's more, there's much more. Uh, there are 12 gates. There are three gates in each direction, north, south, east, and west. And each gate is manned by an angel. And again, on each gate, you've got the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. So um, there's no more war, there's no more sin. It's all gone in this new heaven. It's a perfect world. So the angels aren't there to guard the city. They're there to welcome people, to welcome people from the new earth into the city. And I believe it won't be St. Peter who welcomes us into heaven. It will be one of these angels. There's a street Poynton has a street, doesn't it? We've got our main street, Park Lane, and the new heaven has a street. It's a big street which runs down the middle. It's made of pure gold, and again, it looks like transparent glass. There's no temple in the city. Why is that? Because it's Jesus. Do you remember Jesus said he will rebuild the temple in three days, and he did it through his death and resurrection. So there's no more temple. God is the temple. And there's no sun, and there's no moon, and there are no stars. We don't need them, because God lights up the whole city. The glory of God lights up this city. Is this picture forming? Is it good? Can you see it? God lights up the whole city. And not only the whole city, but the glory of God lights up the whole of the new earth. Because it says that the inhabitants of the new earth walk in it. They live in the light of the glory of God. There's a river. Poynton has a brook. Um, but this has a... <laughs> our new home has a, a huge river which flows through it. It's clear as cl uh, crystal. Can you imagine a river clear as crystal? And it runs down from the throne of God through the city. And on each side of this river are the tree of, is a tree of life. And this is one of the mysteries in the book of Revelation. There's a tree of life, and by eating the leaves, there's healing. So the leaves are therapeutic. But we know that everyone's saved in the new heaven and the new earth. So I'm not quite sure why we'll need healing, but it's a good thing. To eat from the tree of life will be good. That's what I know. And the most important thing, of course, is the promise that Jesus makes in uh, verse 21.4. He will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and there will no longer be any death, mourning, crying, or pain. All these things have passed away. Now, this is Jesus speaking. And you see, he mentions these negative things that we know oh so well. Mourning, crying, death, pain. But that, you see, the only way he can explain to us the glory, the, the wonderful future that we have with him is by showing us these negative things and how they're not going to be there anymore. So in the absence of those things is going to be the glory of God. Because all these things have passed away. So um, anyway, it's all well and good, isn't it? But what are we going to do in the new heaven? Have you got any ideas? What are we going to do? Is it going to be like one long worship service? Do you think there'll be like the worship band? Well, uh, if you go through the Bible from start to finish, you, you get clues, strong clues. Um, we're going to have our own place to live. We've seen that. We'll have our own dwelling place um, to live with Jesus. We will constantly 
glorify and praise God in everything we do. We will live a righteous life for all eternity with God, inheriting all of heaven and all the kingdom of God with Jesus, because we are co-heirs with Jesus. And we will receive, this is important actually, I always think we should talk about it more, we're going to receive rewards. Yeah? So our salvation is by grace. There's nothing we can do to be saved other than believing in Jesus. But our rewards as believers in heaven are through works. And you know in the New Testament, these sections are mixed together and it's easy to get confused, isn't it? Salvation is by grace, but our rewards are by works. And there are five crowns uh, which are mentioned in the New Testament. The crown of victory, the crown of righteousness, the crown of life, the crown of rejoicing, and the crown of glory. Another thing we'll do, we will rule and reign with Christ. With him. There were so many uh, passages in the New Testament, about the, in the whole Bible about this, that I gave up trying to find them all. But Daniel 7, 27 is a good one to go to. And I'm sure we're going to do many, many other things um, in heaven, many other things, and we'll do them all as unto the Lord. Paul said, today, in this life, we should do things as unto the Lord, but in heaven we will do them directly unto the Lord. Does it sound good? Yeah. You still with me? Yeah. <laughs> you see, I was freestyling. I actually went off my notes. Um, well, memorize them anyway. <laughs> so uh, all weddings need an invitation. What's our invitation to this wedding? So it's Jesus. Okay, and that's what I really want to talk about. Our invitation is Jesus. So if we go back to John 14, when Jesus told us and he described our future with him, a couple of verses later in verse 6, he gives us the ticket, he tells us the invitation, and it's this. I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. Now, don't you think it's interesting when he was asked, uh, when the disciples asked him about the future they have with the Lord, he describes it, and then he gives them the invitation. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There's no other way to heaven but through Jesus. There's no other way to the wedding feast but through Jesus. That's the invitation. So if we believe in Jesus, what is it exactly we believe? Do we believe he's our friend, he loves us, he's always there for us? And does it stop there? What do we believe? Well, we believe this. It's 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 and 4. And I think, I dare say, it's the most important part of the Bible because it is what the whole message of the Bible is based on that Christ died for our sins, he was buried, and he rose again on the third day. That's what we believe. That's what we stand on. And if you're not a believer, and you're listening to me now, then hear the gospel of Jesus. The only way by which we're saved, the only way by which we're invited to heaven in, this wed in the wedding feast, there is no other way. Jesus spelt it out. It couldn't be more clear on the way, the truth, and the life. His blood sacrifice on the cross, because Christ died for our sins, his blood sacrifice cleanses us 
of our sins. And I know people, they often ask me, why do I need to be cleansed? Why do I need to be redeemed? Why am I a sinner? Well, have any of us lied? Ever? Have you ever told a lie? Have you ever stolen anything? Have you ever stolen anything? What about that uh, one penny chew when you were six years old? (laughs) You see, we all fall short of God's standard, God's perfect standard. So we're all sinners. But believing in his blood sacrifice on the cross cleanses us of our sins. And that trust, that faith in the grace of sending his one and only son to die for us gives us the invitation. It gives us the ticket to this heavenly home I'm talking about and to the wedding feast to live with Jesus for all eternity. So, so far, um, I hope we've seen how wonderful our future with Jesus is. Our future with the Lord. And it's this future with the Lord that saw the Apostle Paul through all these trials, persecutions, shipwrecks, hunger, starvation. It's that future, that knowledge of the future with the Lord that saw the early church and the apostles through all the terrible persecutions they went through, trying to stay alive each day. And it's that future with the Lord that sees Christians through today in different parts of the world where they've been persecuted. And it's that future with the Lord that we have, whatever happens. So we know on the news the world's getting worse and worse. That's our blessing. You see, at the beginning beginning of the book of Revelation, it says that we have a blessing for reading it and taking heed of the prophecy. It's the only book in the Bible which tells us we have a blessing for reading and listening to it. And why is that? I've spent a long time wondering why. And now I think I know. It's because the book shows us the future with the Lord. And if we have the future with the Lord in our hearts, if we hold on to it, we can get through anything. It's been proven. Paul proved it. The early church proved it. So it's our blessed hope. The future with the Lord is our blessed hope. Our blessed hope is the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, um, Peter, Peter says that we should, hold the mor- we should have the morning star in our hearts. And the morning star was Venus. It is Venus. It still exists. <laughs> and uh, at certain times of the year in Israel, the morning star would rise just before the sun. So when they saw the morning star, they'd know the sun was about to rise. And in Israel, at least, it, w- it can be so bright that you'd think it's sunlight, but no, it would be another hour before the sun comes up. So are we doing that? Are we holding on to the morning star? Okay, can we see that it's getting closer and closer? Are we anticipating the coming of Jesus for a second time? So here's our application today. It's very simple. Uh, This is what I want you to remember from this word in a year's time. So I've only chosen two words. Get ready. Let's get ready. Uh, The title of one of my favorite songs by Curtis Mayfield is People Get Ready. Do you know that one? I think the worship band should play that in a minute. (laughs) People get ready. There's a train to Jordan coming. You don't need no ticket. You just climb on board. Actually, that's wrong. You do need a ticket, and we know what the ticket is. It's Jesus. 
We need to be ready for Jesus to come again, to come again and take us with him in his Father's house. And how easy do you think it is for us to not be ready? I think it's very easy. It's easy for both believers and non-believers not to be ready. Believers can be looking elsewhere. We can be distracted by this world. We can turn our hearts to this world. We can just not be watching out. Non-believers can be too late in coming to Jesus. So it's urgent. This message is urgent for us all. I mean, we've seen we don't know the day or the hour, like the bride waiting for the groom to come with a shout of a trumpet. We know Jesus will come in the twinkle of an eye like a thief in the night, and we are told to watch out. We don't know the day or the hour, but we've seen we can know the season, and uh, I firmly believe this is the season, that we're in it. And if you want to come and talk to me afterwards, I'll tell you why I believe this is the season. And we can be ready. Um, well, in closing, if there's something so tangible, there is something so tangible we can do. And I wanted to end this with uh, you know, something solid and strong. It's really Jesus' words. We need to be ready for him. We need to be looking out. And if we're doing that, that will bear its own fruit. If we're looking for Jesus every day, we will live in this world as temporary citizens. We won't be attached to it. Our hearts will be set on things above. We'll take every opportunity to tell others about Jesus. We'll be salt and light to Jesus and to others. We'll bear witness to Jesus to others. And we'll give our testimony, our story of Jesus to others in the short time we have left. Now, I fail miserably in all of those things because you can never do them enough. So that's what we need to be doing and that's what we need to pray to be doing. So we're not just going to sit in our tent and wait for Jesus and do nothing. We're going to have our marriage clothes on. We're going to walk around with our lamps, walk around the tent, go out and tell people about Jesus. And bear witness. 1 John 2.18 says, This is the last hour. And of course, that's in God's heavenly timetable, not our timetable. But it was written 2,000 years ago. And we must now be in the last minute. So we need to be ready every waking minute for Jesus. Is that an amen? amen? So maybe as I've been speaking, perhaps you realize um, that you're not ready. Perhaps if Jesus came back today, you would be embarrassed. Or maybe you don't know Jesus. Perhaps you've walked away from him. It's never too late for us in this life whilst we're here. It's urgent, but today is not too late. We can be ready. And as I mentioned earlier in, in my talk, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 3 and 4. I'm really hammering this home. I think we should um, highlight it in our Bibles with a yellow marker. Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again on the third day. When we accept and believe that he died on the cross, his blood then cleanses us of our sins. And we are saved by trusting in his blood, the blood of Jesus to redeem us. That, uh, redeem us. That's why we've done communion today. And that's all it takes, believing in Jesus, that he died and rose again. So I'd like to finish with a prayer. Um, I don't think we'll stand. Do you want to, should we bow our heads? 
Lord Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross. And I believe that your blood washed away my sin. I also believe that you were buried and you rose again on the third day. And you are coming back. Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I've not followed you. I'm sorry there's a gap in our relationship. Please forgive me. And your blood will cleanse me, Lord Jesus. And you will accept me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your death on the cross. And thank you that you will come again to fetch me and provide a future in heaven for me. Amen. So if you've prayed that prayer from your heart for the first time, um, please come speak to one of the pastors at the front of the church or myself. We'd love to pray with you and talk with you. And I'll just finish by saying, come Lord Jesus, come Lord Jesus. Thank you for listening. Amen. Amen.